Specialization is key. Are you a platform or are you a product? If you're a platform player, you're enabling others to build product on top of you, through you, with you. If you're a product provider, then you can't be everything to everybody. Because the days of tolerating average or subpar products because of orchestration and because of friction being gone are simply dead. You're listening to Leaders in Payments and Fintech, a podcast brought to you by Edgar Dunn & Company, the global payments and fintech consulting firm. Coming to you from the City of London, I'm your host, Martin Kodrish. And in this series, I'm meeting with leaders and practitioners across the industry to find out what it takes to bridge the gap between strategy and execution. My central question is, how can we commercialize and bring the benefits of ever deeper new technology to market in what continues to be a highly regulated industry? If you enjoy these interviews, please do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. So enough of the intro, let's get straight into today's episode. This week, we are discussing orchestration with Oliver Ranch, Chief Growth Officer at Pipro. Pipro is a leading fintech most well-known for enabling businesses to easily accept alternative payment methods across the globe. The acquisition of Alpha Fintech in 2022, where Oliver was CEO, strengthens Pipro's position as a global payments technology leader and trusted infrastructure partner to PSPs, banks, and corporates. In our conversation, we deep dive the various orchestration concepts and start off with a helpful definition of the difference between payment, service, and product orchestration. So I do hope you enjoy this conversation with Oliver Ranch, Chief Growth Officer at Pipro. I'd like to welcome to the show Oliver Ranch, who's Chief Growth Officer at Pipro, based in Singapore. How are you doing today, Oliver? Enjoying the warm and humid weather. Yeah, I can imagine. Yes. Um, all right, great. Let's get started our conversation. Maybe to kick off, you can perhaps just um, give us a bit of a personal introduction, including your journey to, to joining Pipro and then the background to Alpha Fintech. So on a personal note, I'm a global nomad. Nomads have lived across Europe, US, and now Asia. And my payments experience started probably with us, with many of us on Pfizer, launched Alpha, Alpha FinTech, and then acquiring platform as a service, which was acquired by Pipro about a year ago. And now we're trying to dominate the payment platform as a service space uh, around the world for providing services to merchant service providers, acquirers around the world. Okay, great. Um, all right, to start off with and set the scene, perhaps we can just talk around some definitions uh, of, of orchestration fundamentally. Um, and there are some various concepts floating around between product, payment, and service orchestration. Perhaps you can kind of demystify what these concepts mean and how they differ. So payment orchestration itself is, is primarily targeted at merchants. And the, really the goal is to increase authorization rates and lower acceptance costs. Increased authorization rates can happen then if a customer, if an issuing bank declines a transaction, send it to another acquirer. The lowering of costs can take multiple forms. It's not just least cost routing across acquirers, but it could be, hey, if it's a debit card in the US, don't run it via the Visa and MasterCard rails, run it via the debit rails because you get better pricing for that. Mm -hmm. So it's in essence for payment orchestration is for merchants to improve their bottom line by, by not losing good authorizations that they could and lowering costs where they can. Now the service and or product orchestration is really primarily targeted at payment service providers, acquirers, and, and banks. And the idea of that is, hey, if you've got multiple platforms today, multiple products today, if you have a shopping list of products tomorrow. Um, what we want to do is provide you not just a single integration layer, 
but a single operational layer. So, so we will integrate that for you. We will harmonize them to behave as if they're one cohesive platform. All the billing, all the reporting is standardized. And the benefit of service orchestration is not only are you no longer taxing your IT and operationals team with integrations and maintenance thereof, but by doing that through this one single ecosystem at your fingertips, you're going to have more products to customize with. So in essence, it's, it's a SaaS platform that not just does integrations on demand, but also provides access to the solution ecosystem that, that, that users can now easier customize with. Okay, that's clear. Um, might be might be w worth just going back a tiny bit just to explore the sort of the background and you know how we got to this point to the extent that orchestration is needed. Why do we think it's actually needed? And I, I think we we previously heard you discuss this concept of a, of a of a new API jungle. I mean, it'd be great to recap on that topic. So if we look back yeah. over a decade ago, it's, it was kind of ironic. I remember when the API just started becoming a topic in payments, and one of the things that was incredible is just how many, especially bank acquirers, were, were so reluctant to accepting the API. They, they were just either shying away from it and it was at the back burner. And it really opened the door for the Adyens and the Stripes and, and, and the uh, other providers to, to capture merchants who just wanted easier and faster access to products. But the reason why a lot of the legacy acquirers shied away from it is because also it meant that they could lose customers easier. If I've integrated to something clunky and then I'm stuck with it. But at the same time, the flip side of that coin is if it's clunky, nobody's going to integrate to you anymore. So with this easy access from the API, now all of a sudden, every individual and single product, every acquirer started producing these easy to integrate APIs. But the absolutely unequivocally biggest misconception of non-techies when it comes to an API is thinking that an API is easy. Right. It's not difficult, but that's very different than being easy. You see, whether I'm a different acquirer, I need a new API integration and I need to maintain that. Whether I'm a different product, it's also different APIs and each provider has got different data fields and data elements. So what that now means is that IT usually not that it's difficult work that they have to undertake, but because there's so many of them and the queue is so packed, even if you want a new product with the most beautiful, cleanest and simplest API, it's stuck in an integration queue that can take easily one to two years. So yes, the clunkiness from before was fixed. Yes, accessing more new products became easier, but now we are looking at this API jungle that is really occupying valuable resources from mission-critical endeavors. So what this next evolution is going to be, and the reason why I'm drawing parallels to the banks is I'm still seeing today how many banks and large acquirers don't even want to touch the topic of orchestration. And they don't want to touch it because of the exact same fears that they had with an API. And well, doesn't that mean a customer can now leave me easier? Yes, it does. But that genie is out of the bottle already. Large merchants and large providers are starting to use more and more orchestration layers precisely because they no longer want to be dependent on one acquirer. Most acquirers today compete on merchant discount rates and, and uh, let a race to the bottom. 
But the impact for a merchant of increasing one or two or more percent on an authorization rate dwarfs any 30, 40, or 50 basis points that you might be providing them with savings. So for any merchant and orchestration layer, but I wouldn't, I argue not for the small ones, but merchants that have now reached medium size and are starting to optimize their business and orchestration layer is, is mission critical in order to, to save good authorizations and lower costs and increase, hence increase customer satisfaction and improve my bottom line. And for large acquirers, you can do what you did with APIs and avoid the topic, or you can see how you can be part of what's here today and adjust and calibrate your business strategies to this new world of orchestration that's not going to go away. I mean, it's interesting when you sort of segment the merchants and, and say there's the sweet spots for the, the medium-sized merchants. I mean, is it fair to say larger enterprise, sophisticated merchants companies have been doing, you know, an element of orchestration internally for some time? Yeah. So let's, let's break it down first to the small ones. The, the small ones, they just care about acceptance. I just want an easy merchant account, uh, make it as simple as, as possible for me. So the moment they then grow and they're saying, well, hold on a second, I really want to optimize my business because uh, it's not just about getting customer in the door, it's about keeping them happy, repeat business, going global. The orchestration layer is, is perfect for that. Then we also have large customers that might be legacy customers. So I'm not talking about the Ubers and the Netflixes of this world, but, but it could be take any airline or, or take some, some um, large, I don't know whether Walmart has it. I don't know whether I should pick Walmart, but let's just take le legacy retailers uh, within there that probably don't have these because the technology is not as sophisticated. But then you've got the super merchants, the super techie merchants. The yeah. Ubers, the Netflixes, the Amazons of this world, they absolutely have been, the Wayfarers of this world, they absolutely have been building their own in-house yeah. uh, simply because they will also customize certain rules and certain flows that are very specific and particular to them. That is a very small subset of merchants. It, it might be a hundred of them, hundred most desirable, but still a hundred. But 95% of the rest of the merchants absolutely are a right target market for that because even if they build something internally, it's still going to lack the sophistication of what an orchestration provider has simply because they don't have that same techie expertise and quality of techies that some of the biggest customer, uh, merchants, super merchants, fintech merchants have. So we're kind of at this sort of, um, is it fair to say, at a, at a juncture now in the industry evolution where we've had this sort of uh, first phase of orchestration and now we're looking forward to the next phase. How do you think this industry trend around orchestration is going to play out over the next two years, uh, even further out? First off, what it's going to change is, is friction. So friction on multiple levels. Customers and merchants are going to demand more SaaS type contracts, not contract block lock-ins, but that it becomes easier to leave a provider. If I'm a provider, I have to accept I might be secondary or tertiary. I might only get a fraction of the volume and of the business. So how do you adapt to that is by creating more value around value-add products and value-add layers. Now, what I'm saying here is nothing new. You read McKinsey, you read PwC, you read KPMG. You see MasterCard's podcasts. There is everywhere around the web that new form of merchant acquiring centers around value add layers. Visa and MasterCard is core to get them to play, but to keep them and to generate margin, only value add layers will do that. That nothing else. If, if you're centering, I can't be strong enough about this because I still see a lot of banks 
that will get a legacy payment gateway and a legacy backend. And hallelujah, we now have a new payment strategy. No, you don't. You would have if it was 2005 or 2010. Today, you do not. Mm-hmm. Because orchestration has marginalized acquiring and it is all about accessing more value add layers. And this is where the second element comes in from service orchestration or payment platform as a service. Mm-hmm. What it does is think of it as adding an industrial strength app store to the FI, to the acquirer that allows their merchants to then do some of the Visa and MasterCard processing with them, but save them by switching on uh, localized value-add products that are relevant to them. Imagine if I'm a telco today that offers the greatest cell phone in the world with the greatest cell phone reception, with the greatest telco apps, but you don't have an app store, whether it's, whether it's Apple or whether it's Android. It, it doesn't matter who you are. If you cannot provide these value-add layers, none of the other stuff matters. And that is where payment orchestration and service orchestration by eliminating friction is forcing everybody to adjust their business model and focus on vaster access, more value add layers, and, and, and more collaboration, almost competition between providers. Okay, that's clear. So yeah, I, mean, I, I think I agree that the core payment processing piece is becoming, becoming commoditized to, to a certain extent, right? So there's a focus on the value added solution and, and that layer you, you refer to. Who might, who might be the winners and losers of this, this trend, do you think? It, specialization is key. Are you a platform or are you a product? If you're, if, you, if, if you're a platform player, you're enabling others to build product on top of you, through you, with you. If you're a product provider, then you can't be anything to ev- everything to everybody. Are, are you an acquirer? Are you a, a, a data layer? Are you a fraud solution provider? The other sort of mistake that is, that is incredible I still don't understand how people do that, is you see these large, um, whether it's payment processors or providers, building a, a, an in-house fraud solution. Well, why? Right, right. Why would you do that? There's a hundred providers out there whose entire existence and being is optimizing this one single component and layer. So what you're going to do is you're going to waste time and money and resources to build something that's not as good as somebody else's. Maybe it's cheaper, but it's by far not as good. So any sophisticated customer is not going to use you anyway. So specialization now reigns supreme. And what that then means is you either the platform was providing access to all of these specialized providers, and I as an acquirer can pick and choose what to customize with, or you're a specialized provider who's now looking to see how I, I can access the most customers in the fastest and easiest way possible. So gone are the days where I can be anything to everybody, where I can move up the value chain because the days of tolerating average or subpar products because of orchestration and because of, uh, of friction being gone are simply, are simply dead. Yeah, I mean, so the value change is evolving and, and, and changing. Should we just explore the platform that you're developing at the Pro? And that's sort of really where the alpha and the P-Pro marriage had come in. Right. Our goal is exactly that by, by accelerating the growth of payment service providers, payment facilitators, merchant acquirers, and anybody who is a payment technology buyer. And what we're saying with that is, hey, 
we will be this platform, this industrial strength app store, and we're going to bring together these new innovations around the world mm -hmm. with you and for you. We're going to do that, obviously, with PPROS to start with bread and butter, which is the global payment methods. It, it's, it's a mind-blowing statistic, but 77% of all e-commerce transactions last year were handled by localized payment methods. Right. It, 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 it's incredible. So right there, your foundational layer is you got to have access to number and wide variety of global payment methods to even play. And then there, we want to be able to expose all of these solution nuances. Hey, do you want a backend? Do you have one? No problem. Do you need a front end? You don't have one? No problem. You need KYC, AML tools. Uh, do you need better centralized data uh, and billing? Do you want to expand global and get access to global licenses? It's the solution super model where we are simplifying uh, anybody becoming an acquirer overnight. It's world-class acquiring in a box or anybody enhancing and accelerating the, their roadmap so that if they're being marginalized through payment orchestration, they can use our toolbox mm -hmm. to provide more value add layer and more, more solutions. So we are the neutral, almost Swiss solution provider here, Switzerland in, the, in this, where, where we don't care whom you use, but we're making it easier to use them through us. And you don't have to tax your own IT and operational resources so that you can easier grow your business, optimize your business and protect your business throughout the solution variety of third-party product providers that we've got. What are the synergies between, uh, between yeah. Pipro and Alpha Fintech? They're geographical or perhaps um, more than that? Well, it's also product-wise. Alpha, we, we had built the first payment and service orchestration engine well over a decade ago. So, right. so we were absolutely the first ones on there. And I love when I see sometimes online, some people saying, oh, the first payment orchestration. No. We, we built that before anybody even knew what that was. As in the early days of APIs, we already had that up and running. And the goal from that was basically targeting acquirers and to give them acquiring in a box. Mm -hmm. And acquiring in a box is, hey, why don't you migrate your legacy business into the cloud? Why don't you add a better pricing and billing engine for more flexibility? Why don't you use APIs right now to get REST APIs and developer centers to 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 board these new customers with, why don't you use orchestration to customize across small products? Why should you pick one fraud solution or be stuck with the fraud solution that your backend provider gave mm -hmm. you? Why don't you have two or three of them and customize for each uh, merchant vertical that you've got? And it took a while to get the product right because with these very large solutions, think of it like, like what just happened with SpaceX where, where the rocket shit blew up. 99% mm -hmm. of that rocket ship was built great. But if, if there's even a tiny thing that's not working right uh, and, and, and moves you left and right, that thing blows up. So getting a solution right for such discerning customers where you can't even be a fraction of a decimal wrong because of the large volume that you're processing, where you can't miss SLAs or merchants will, thousands of merchants will be upset, took quite some time in R&D and development. And as we had that right, is when we started to get new acquirers who wanted to launch acquiring from the quicker, cheaper, cheaper, easier um, with a vaster solution set and legacy acquirers who, who wanted to migrate from legacy into this new solution subset. And we were focused on Asia. People was focused on Europe, US, Latin America. We were focused on the acquiring element 
people on the digital payments element. We sold to the exact same customers. So it was an easy footprint to start upselling, cross-selling each other. And that's where the marriage sort of came along and it's, it's, it's proving wonderful right now. From a sort of merchant perspective, right, who are thinking about um, an orchestration platform, I mean, what are the th- some of the things they need to think through? We've explored the uh, reduction, the complexity on the IT side of things, but um, on the legal side, presumably they still need to have legal, uh, there's still some legal complexity there in terms of the partners on the platform and the need to have contracts with, with those, particularly on a settlement agreement, for example, with an acquirer. So, so that's a good question and it depends. So let's say, let's separate for, for a second payment orchestration and service orchestration. Right. On the service orchestration side, what we have done with PPRO to simplify this is they will get one master contract if they want. And yes. every third party provider that they want to access is just an addendum um, and on software as a service pricing. So if the, the acquirer wants to, they can sign a direct agreement with these third, we don't care. But we try to make it easier for them by having one supply approval process, one contractual process. So you're saving time for procurement and legal and matters that matter. Okay. So that's on the service orchestration side. Now, on the payment orchestration side, there's two models. One model is, hey, I'll give you the technological tool, but you still have to have the contract with the acquirer directly. Mm -hmm. And in my... Opinion, I think that is a better model because it keeps the, the technology layer neutral. Then the technology layer does what it's supposed to do. However, the challenge with that is now I, as a merchant, still have to sign contracts with every acquirer. The second model is which what some orchestrators are doing. They're starting to move up the value chain and saying, hey, I will be the merchant of record, the payfac or the main, the ISO with these acquirers, I'll sign the contracts so you don't have to. And that's possible, but at the same time, then now they're just becoming a global payback on acquirer and the orchestration is becoming secondary. Mm-hmm. And, and it, that can have a benefit of, hey, I'm saving time on contracts, but the negative of that is now the neutrality, is that orchestration provider really neutral or will they prefer that you orchestrate to the acquiring relationships that are coming through them because it gives them a fatter and bigger margin. So in the, in, in the spirit of, of keeping interests aligned, just getting an orchestration layer who purely acts as a technology layer makes sure you get really neutral opinions while having somebody who, who acts also as the contracting party with the acquirers does make it faster and easier on the settlement side, but neutrality is probably going to take a backseat because obviously they'll, they'll much rather send you the way where they're making more money on the acquiring itself. And I suppose the other, the other thing that you, you know, merchants might, might be concerned about would be a single point of failure, um, contracting or being reliant on, on a single provider as opposed to uh, multiple. Um, what do you say to that? It's, it's partially true, but also false. Right. So let me tell you what I mean by that. Yeah. Yes, in theory, it's a single source of issues that they've got. Yeah. But how many of these customers already have that single sort of issues? How many of them are running a, a massive, or if not all, what if they're running their entire volume through one acquirer? The question isn't, isn't a single point of failure. The question is, 
the the solution provider you're working with, what they what have they done to minimize failure? It's not just that they have high availability, what which is what people did. You also have geographic redundancy, and then if let's say hypothetically, I mean, this isn't the number, but I'm making the number up to make a point. Let's say that the the possibility of catastrophic failure with this one provider is half a percent, but with the other provider is one and a half percent, right? It's still 1% less. So you can't eliminate this risk, but risk, you can manage it and minimize it. So if you don't have an orchestration layer, you're still overly dependent on somebody else. But if you have an orchestration layer, you're minimizing that dependence, but there is single dependence on you, so the key for anybody looking for an orchestration layer is making sure how has that orchestration layer ensured that technologically they, they have that necessary redundancy that the risk with them is less as compared to anything else. Yeah, so I suppose with any architecture, you can't eliminate risk completely, right? So you can just manage and minimize it. Okay, um, the next question really is around regional adoption, availability. You know, what what are we seeing uh, across the globe in terms of uh, um, appetite for these kind of solutions? Are there any differences? Yeah, so the US and Europe have really been pioneers in that, and Asia is still lagging. It's it's slowly coming across, especially Southeast Asia is definitely a laggard. But that's been sort of the traditional uh, way of things, is, is where too many times... Um, Acquiring here was closed off. It was difficult for Payfax to come in. ISOs are virtually non-existent. The legacy banks controlled it and acquires and just the gateway business that existed. So it was always a bit of a clunky, clunky process to begin with. Uh, but that's slowly changing. The adoption here is also increasing, but definitely the U.S. is leading the charge with, with the Europe following second. And it's a distant, distant third with, with Asia. Um, and even a further fourth with Latin America. Is there a particular sweet spot with you know cross-border payment acceptance? Is that is that is that fair to say? Well, it should be um, mm. because especially with cross-border acceptance, the authorization rates can vary drastically by acquirer and by issuer. So if I'm going international, there should be been absolutely a fine-tuned process uh, on how you're handling certain geographies and certain issuers. There's some countries. That if it's an international transaction and, you, and you're acquiring by another partner, you can see five to ten percent decline rate, which, which is which is massive. But then let's let's also take let let's say let me give you another example. So Pipro is launching um, UPI India, and right. you could set up a rule when my buyer is from India, then I want them to pay via UPI because the decline rates for Visa and MasterCard out of India are scary. Yeah. So in there, again, customizing not just across acquirers, but across payment methods can have a drastic impact on, on authorization rates. And when I say drastic, this can be 5 10% plus. Okay, look, um, two more questions actually from my side before we wrap up. Um, I mean, like strategically or may maybe more philosophically from a, from a merchant point of view or a company point of view, obviously there's often a, uh, this desire to keep like core business or st critical business in-house and, you know, just make sure that you own that infrastructure, that technical capability. But at the same time, there's a recognition that, you know, we're entering a more open era of, of payments and, and orchestration trend typifies that. 
I mean, what would you say, what, what advice would you give to, to merchants companies who are really struggling with that journey and to open up and, and, you know, and be more outsourced orientated? I think it's fear mongering. It's fear mongering that is driven by the internal chief architect and the internal CTO who wants to have an army of developers and control the process and stuck in product development land in order to have job security. And because how many large established payment gateways have had catastrophic outages? How many acquirers have? How many large fraud solutions have? How many precedents are there? I'm not saying there's none, but I'm mm -hmm. saying how many are there? So you are now going to distract your resources and rebuild something that is not your core business, that you probably do not have the same knowledge for, and that you now have to maintain and keep in order to manage to such a small probability that it simply makes no sense. Mm. Particularly today, if you look at the market as to, as to how everybody has to chase profit more so than ever, venture capital has dried out, the entire economy, there's layoffs galore, there's only mission critical projects, and you're really going to build your own power plant and run it too versus just plugging in. It's those are, those are vanity projects based upon irrational fear. Because again, find me the largest gateways that we've seen, the largest acquirers, the largest fraud solutions. How many of them had catastrophic failures over the last 10 years? And even if you can find me one and two out of what a thousand, statistically, it is completely irrelevant. So the, the, the innovation. Sorry, go ahead. The fear mongering is not the reason to do it. And innovation wise, a company that does nothing but that, that has developers who are only focused and trained on that, always, always will outperform some random people in the bank or anywhere else said, well, why, why don't we build an orchestration engine? Sure, let, let's, let, let's see, what do we need to do? And, and I think the innovation cycle is just getting faster and accelerating, right? So by the time you built your in-house solution, you may well be... It, it's already dated. Correct. It's already dated. You're constantly chasing behind. It's every of these project life cycles is one to two years. Mm -hmm. Remember how the world was where we were two years ago? Yeah. Bitcoin was going to be the absolute next craziest thing. Yeah. I know pay later was the end all be all. The world wasn't a good place. Where are we now? So every two years, two years is a massive timeline within, within payments of, of what can be different. So you can either play catch up or you can be part of the current stream and flow. I mean, there's, there's a lot of orchestration platforms. It's quite busy space now that's emerged. I mean, like you say, fairly recently. I mean, you know, I think we would, we've been tracking it for four or five years. And over that period of time, there's, there's been a lot of um, new entrants into orchestration. How would you advise or help companies think through how to select and pick, a, pick the right partner? It's really no different than when you pick a fraud solution, when you pick a payment gateway, when you pick a backend. Let's pick fraud. I like picking fraud as an example because I always found it fascinating that there's hundreds of these fraud solutions, and yet a lot of them are profitable and, and, and actually working right. And the reason for that is even though they're all bucketed under fraud and emergent fraud, how they tackle this, whom they're selling to, what their core verticals are is, is very different. Somebody might be focusing on airlines. Somebody might be focusing as a white label solution for acquirers. Somebody might be just for, for small merchants. Somebody might have just a small nuance and an element of it. And orchestration is really the same thing. So it's not just one orchestration layer. The first question is, if I'm an acquirer, 
do I want to work with somebody who works with, with merchants as an orchestration layer? Or do I want to work with a white label provider who, who's going to give me that whom I don't have to compete with? But, right, that's, that's the simple question. I don't want to compete with somebody. I want to leverage somebody and, and utilize them for that purpose. Then if I'm a merchant, do I want to have access to the source code and be able to customize some things? Or do I just want it out of the box? And even then there, what is the, the sort of uh, uh, sophistication of rules that I want to follow? Because some orchestration engines can also add chargeback elements to it on the payment side and fraud risk protection elements on the payment side. So how deep do you want to go? Or do you really want to keep it just as simple as possible, you know, touch screen, touch and go? So even though the space is getting crowded, how they differentiate themselves is already starting to look very different. Okay. And that's really is what do you want out of your orchestration engine? Put together your list. And then look at all the different providers and as to who will fit in there and we'll see that list with each of these requirements being, be, uh, with the requirement list growing bigger and bigger, the number of orchestration layers that fits that is going to get smaller and smaller. I do have one final question around being agnostic, right? I mean, how important do you think that is for a merchant to differentiate between orchestration platforms that offer different types of independence or, or neutrality, as you put it earlier on? It's, it's the core and the heart of orchestration. Mm -hmm. The problem is if you, if you do, if you have vested self-interest, how are you going to be neutral? If I'm some of these largest, most established, successful multinational acquirers that, that we all know who their names are, how are they going to now get, go to their merchant and say, Hey, I have an orchestration engine. And even though I'm making, if you acquire directly with me a lot more money, why don't you orchestrate to these guys, you know, because it's in, in your best interest, it's, it's mm -hmm. just not going to happen. So even if they promise it to you. Even if they tell you material, human nature is human nature. We can't change that. Hence, find an, an orchestrator who is neutral, who doesn't care if they send you to acquirer A and an acquirer B, and who acts like your solution consultant on how we can optimize your authorization rates and lower your costs. All right. Perfect, Oliver. Thank you so much for your insights today. It's been fascinating speaking to you. Um, maybe just to... You know, I always like the audience to be able to reach out to my guests. So what's the best way of contacting you? LinkedIn, please do reach out to me. If you've seen any of my other podcasts, I love the topic. I'm passionate about it. It is transformational. As the API changed payments, so will orchestration. And as I advocated and evangelized the API a decade ago with Alpha, I am now advocating and evangelizing orchestration through PPRO. Please come to us and we'd love to tell you more about it. All right, perfect. Well, thanks again and see you next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. To hear more interviews, please do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. It helps and means a lot. Also, I welcome any questions, ideas, or suggestions, so feel free to make contact and say hello. Reach out to me on LinkedIn or at edgardunn.com. You can send me a message there, or you can email me on martin.coderish at edgardunn.com. I look forward to hearing from you, and I will see you next time.